Welcome to Lit with Charles, a podcast on all things literary where I interview people who've either written books or have interesting things to say about them. If you're like me, then you love reading, but maybe you're not sure what you should be reading or maybe you feel intimidated by conversations around books. The main aim of this podcast is to make literature exciting and accessible and hopefully make you discover new books and authors that are off the beaten track. In this podcast, I try to cover all genres and types of books, from serious historical nonfiction to trashy novels, and I talk to all sorts of authors so that it never feels like the same episode twice. It says so much if you don't have books in your home, and books say so much about who you want to be, who you are, what you believe in, and I kept bringing that back. One of my great dreams in life is having a beautiful library in my home. You know the kind of one I'm talking about. Some of us probably imagine something quite classical, whilst others may visualize a more modern construction to house their books. Whatever the case may be, many book lovers have a strong desire to house their books in a way that cherishes and highlights them. On my Instagram account, I occasionally post content featuring beautiful libraries from around the world, and the reaction is immediate. People love a good library, and I'm definitely no exception. This is why I was so excited to talk to this week's guest, Nina Freudenberger, who is a Los Angeles-based interior designer and author of a superb coffee table book called Biblio Style, How We Live at Home with Books, where she has documented and photographed some of the most gorgeous home libraries in the world, including those of major writers. In this episode, we talk about the role of books within homes and why we're all so obsessed with beautiful home libraries. For those of you who are interested in buying this book, I've added a link in the show notes. I really do recommend this beautiful piece of work and yet another great book to add to the library of any book lover. How did you get started in interior design? What brought you to that profession originally? I went to Rhode Island School of Design, um, and my major was architecture there. I did the five-year BFA BARC program, and I really left that program thinking I was going to be like definitely designing skyscrapers in New York City. <laughs> I got my first job in an architecture firm, and I think that maybe because it was at the time, 20 years ago, super male-dominated, and I kind of got gently pushed into the interior design um, team over there. And I found it to be incredibly rewarding. And so I decided to keep going with it. And over the years, I've opened retail stores. I do private residential and hospitality design. And I have my own business. And I travel around the country doing our projects. And I see you often on Instagram. I see you traveling all around the world to these uh, fascinating places. I think in the name of an upcoming book, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about your existing books, Surf Shack. I haven't read it, but it looks from afar like <laughs> an ode to Californian living and, and what we all imagine is the, the dream lifestyle over there. But I have bought and read your excellent book, uh, Biblio Style, which I thought was fantastic. Of great interest to anybody who's into reading because it is a collection of absolutely stunning libraries around the world. So tell us what prompted you originally to write this book. When I first moved from 
New York to LA, I took the move really casually. And I was like, no problem. It's the same country. How much of a difference can it be? And it turns out Los Angeles is like a totally different planet than New York. (laughs) So I really started, I had to really adjust and recalibrate kind of my life and my outlook. And, you know, I just found it so interesting when I would wake up and I saw surfers walk down the street with their surfboards at 5am and like everyone's you know, waiting for hours for green juice. and But everyone's still very productive. It just feels very casual, everything. You know, New York, it was like I'd work till 11 at night, you know? Yeah. So it was a huge adjustment. And I was at the point of my career simultaneously where I was feeling maybe a little burnt out. I think I was seeing the same things being regurgitated over and over again on Pinterest. You know, I'd come to the end of a Pinterest page after doing a search and there'd be like no new images. It would be the Mm -hmm. same images just flying back up. And I felt like, wow, there's something happening here that's a lifestyle and a point of view that's really interesting. And how can I see other people's homes that have this lifestyle kind of embedded in it, which is how Surfshack kind of was manifested. That kind of led me into the second book, Bibliostyle, because the first book was really looking at a home through the lens of just seeing how someone lives in someone's, how you live in your own home that is based off of a passion or something that you care so deeply about. So all of these surfer homes had, they care so much about surfing and that is their passion. They built their whole life around it. But you could also pick that up through in their home. And I think the exploration of a home or what is a home is incredibly fascinating. And I also am super interested in the idea of people who are making their homes incredibly beautiful and interesting, but are not interior designers. I think there's a lot to be said about that entire category. I think when I was speaking with my editor about the second book, we were talking about what was the most important thing in a home. And I was trying to distill what those elements were. And I kept coming back to this idea of books and book collections. I've been in homes when I've been like doing a walkthrough for a new client and Like there's not a single book to be found or like just one sad coffee table book on their table that someone clearly gave that to them as a holiday present. Like I was actually like a little frightened of those people because it says so much if you don't have books in your home. And books are, you know, in my opinion, they say so much about who you want to be, who you are, what you believe in. You know, I always go and beeline straight for a bookshelf when I go into someone's house just to kind of do a quick – just a quick like assessment of mm-hmm. what's happening there in their lives mm-hmm. and like what they're in, into. And I kept bringing that back. And then it started from like the single book to the book collection to like, what if that scales up and is a library? And, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a way of doing a tour through a house of homes that I thought were really interesting, but finding the books everywhere. So I could go into a bathroom and take a photograph there because there were books next to the bathtub. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be really exciting and interesting. And also, I think this pared down living felt exhausting to me a little bit. And I loved the idea of people just being surrounded by something that they love. Mm-hmm. So same with Surfshack, same with Bibliostyle, just like surrounding yourself with things that you care about is really important to me and not having that taken away from you. So, How did you find these beautiful libraries? How did you select them? I mean, you've got some stunning rooms in there. What was your approach to that? Part of it comes organically, and the other part is like a deep hustle and detective work. So, mm-hmm. you know, I usually start the projects with really reaching out to friends and designers and artists that I know and asking them if they know anyone with 
say, an interesting book collection or people that are in that world, I reach out to you first. And that is a little bit of a social experiment for sure. I'm asking for favors or contacts. And that's a really beautiful thing because I can usually get into a home that hasn't been photographed before or someone that is unlikely maybe to say yes to a bigger publication and would say yes to a book. Mm-hmm. And then the other version was me doing deep dives research. So I, like for Larry McMurtry, you know, he has those amazing bookstores or had. And and it mentioned in some of the articles that he also had his own large personal collection. And he would kind of shuffle the collection between his house and the bookstore. One wasn't exclusively retail. And, you know, when he was done with some books, he would bring them to the bookstore and it would kind of move back and forth. And I thought, oh my God, what's happening in his house? So it was a little bit of that. And then also, you know, looking on Instagram and peeking in the background of like, you know, stories or, um, and seeing if I could see like, are there books back there? What's happening? And then reaching out to those people. Generally speaking, the people in Biblio style were certainly harder to find and harder to access and harder to convince than Surfshack. Um, uh, really? Do people feel more protective of their books than they do their surfboards? I think so. And they're very, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little bit of a different type of person. Certainly that's a, a generalization for sure. But I found that the people in Biblio style were protective of their personal book collections. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to honor it in a way. And I don't think they've been approached previously. And so it felt they almost were like uh, me, yeah. like why? And and so I had to convince a little bit. And also there was the level of privacy, of course, to kind of try to protect that. And so having seen all these beautiful libraries around the world, in a sentence, what do you think makes a great home library? The best thing you can do is just like really love your books and to not place something onto them that's arbitrary. Like I really purposely stayed away from the color-coded library Mm -hmm. based on size alone. They were perfectly styled so that an accessory could be wedged in there. None of that is interesting to me ever. The collection really had to look like not only could the owners pull out a book out of their collection if needed, like they almost had memorized their library collection um, and placement, but that it was well used, that I could see that it was clearly a working library. Mm -hmm. You know, just having books on the shelves is very different if it's just for other people than if it's for yourself. So Mm -hmm. it had to feel deeply authentic and real people that really use this and that didn't feel burdened by them, that actually Mm -hmm. still had a love for their library. I mean, I think that's something that people struggle with a little bit. It seems counterintuitive that an interior designer would say, look, don't just have a book for ornament's sake, have it because you've really used it and read it. Or would you say that most interior designers would advocate that point of view or the other point of view? I mean, I think it's a little complicated because we certainly place books and we definitely buy Mm -hmm. books based on their cover. So like 100%, we all do that. But Mm -hmm. I do think that there's a hierarchy in a house and, you know, there are certain places where you might say, you know what, like maybe you're only reading Stephen King novels or like whatever you're reading, romantic, who knows? And maybe that's not appropriate Mm -hmm. for your coffee table. Totally fine. I got your coffee table covered, but certainly don't hide your other books. It's a story of how you live and once again, like what you believe in. And and I remember every book that I read and I like the little doggy ears I put in them and the 
binding where it gets a little worn. Oh, wow. I like to kind of show that off. And I think it's depressing if you have a books that are all just fresh and, you Absolutely. Know. And so I, th- I do think with Biblio style, it was certainly not finding libraries that were big, but not too big that I felt like someone else had collected them and this was surely not authentic. Well, so that's the next question, I guess, is how big is too big? And when does it start looking like almost a a hoarder's paradise uh, that somebody's <laughs> just not not throwing out enough books, and, or, or are you into that look where there's sort of books in the corners and off the windowsill and and that kind of thing, or or do you prefer something a bit more orderly? <laughs> For me myself, I'm a little bit more orderly, and so I do like that. But that's my style of living. There were some in that book in Biblio style where I felt it was really jammed in every corner. Mm-hmm. It's always a question of whether it's because they're actively using it, or they just didn't put it away that day before I came to shoot, or what was happening. But I do, I do love that. There's nothing ugly about a book pile. Like I can mm-hmm. never say that there's enough, and everyone ha- can figure out when it's too much. I think realizing that you can't move in your living room would probably be a signal that that you have too many. But, um, (laughs) you know, I think that's problematic. We all deal with overflow on the bookshelf. So then Mm -hmm. what happens? Like, that's okay if they end up on the floor. Maybe they become a side table. Has there been an evolution, do you think, in the role of books in interior design? I'm curious to know whether, you know, 100 years ago, one had to have a library. And then maybe 50 years ago, libraries were considered old school and nobody had a library. Have there been cycles in the use of books in interior design, how libraries have been put together? I I would imagine that home libraries have probably shrunk a great deal since, you know, in the last 100 or 50 years. What are your views on that? Do you see any patterns or cycles? Yeah. I mean, I certainly think that the library amongst my contemporary clients that are, you know, around my age with families and, and whatnot, I'm dealing with collections that are quite minimal. Mm -hmm. And I do think that during like the 80s and the the early 90s, I think book collections were far more important and had space for it in the home. I think people have just really kind of pulled back a little bit from the process of buying books. I think that in the past, people were bringing books home when they traveled. Now we can buy the book anywhere. We don't collect them in the same way. I think as designers, we also don't use books to, I mean, I find myself very rarely going to pick up a book and find a design reference. I'm almost mm-hmm. always using online tools, which of course. is definitely yeah. a shame, you know? Mm-hmm. I did Whitney and Lee Kaplan in the book, and they own mm-hmm. a very, I think, the highest end design bookstore in LA called Arcana. And he, mm-hmm. he started his career actually because he was the researcher for video music So like if Smashing Pumpkins had, you know, wanted to do Egyptian set, he would be Mm -hmm. the one that would go to the Fox lot because they had used to have an old research library, go in there and pull all the images from the old books to so that they could do the set design and all of that. I think that says so much. Now, we're sourcing also in smaller tidbits like throughout the day and not just Mm -hmm. doing research on stuff. So um, Mm -hmm. I do think books have unfortunately decreased a little bit in importance, at least in my contemporary design. But so you now have a third book in the pipeline, I believe. Tell us, can you tell us a little bit about that or is it top secret or no, it's I've not seen, top I've secret. seen a few tidbits of information that you were traveling in these beautiful locations. So I'm dying to hear what this book is about, when it's going to come out and so on. 
The book is something I've always wanted to write, and it was um, it's called Mountain House. It will be published fall of 2023, mm-hmm. um, and it's mountain houses around the world. I'm working with Chris Modellini, who is a phenomenal photographer over at T Magazine freelance, and um, Michael Snyder, who also is a contributing editor at T Magazine and does architectural writing um, for various publications. We traveled the world to find mountain homes, and I think it was a way to kind of something that I've been yearning lately for lately, which is a connection to nature. And mountains, it doesn't have to be isolated. It could, we did Rio, you know, that's in the mountains, in my opinion. We did Cape Town. You know, I think it was trying to expand the concept of what a mountain house is, not just uh, this idea of remoteness and pulling yourself away from society, but you could certainly live in a sprawling city, but still in a, in the mountains. So wow. it was an insane journey. We did 12 countries in like nine months, really obscure, really hard to get to places. We did Patagonia, we did Chile, we did South Africa, we did Brazil, wow. we did Mexico, we did... I mean, the list, Morocco. I'm already picturing a stunning book. If your previous effort is anything to go by, I'm sure it's going to be a sensational looking book. so excited. Out of all these libraries that you've seen uh, across the world, either featured in your book or not featured in your book, what's your favorite library out of all of these? Uh, Are we talking home library or are we talking like actual library? Either or, whatever comes to mind. So the thing with the home visions is that when you go there, or at least because I actually experience these libraries, you fall in love with like every single one. Like by the time you leave that day, you've dived in so deep that you're like, everything that's ju- I just saw, I love so much as if it was my home. It's mm-hmm. not just observation. Like we really dive in. So my passion for each one of these is pretty strong. There were certainly some that stood out to me. So Athena McAlpine, we did hers in Puglia. And Mm -hmm. what was amazing there was it's an old monastery that was then converted into her home. And she lived there with her husband until he passed away, which was just a few years earlier than when we Mm -hmm. had visited. And she had books in breakfront cabinets, lining the halls. She had them everywhere I could see a book. And half the collection was hers and the other half was her late husband. And she was not only the loveliest person, the books were her like babies. Like she talked to them like they were her children and they, she loved them so deeply, but she was also very sad by that with them. Mm -hmm. You know, it was almost like a sadness because those were memories of her husband. And it was just such a beautiful layering thing where she needed them around her to remember him. She said, oh, he loved this book. But then also so sad that it, she saw it again and it reminded her. But it was mm-hmm. there to remind her every, every day, you know? And so wow, it yeah. was almost like you could see the struggle of the books in the house. But it was so beautiful that I just loved what it, they kind of represented for her. Wow. I mean, so many of them, I felt like... Larry McMurtry um, was phenomenal. You know, Art how did you How did you connect to that author specifically? And and unfortunately, he just died, right? Am I, am he I, did. Right? He yeah. did. He just passed away. Yeah. So I chose him actually because I thought it was so interesting that he had these enormous bookstores that were essentially overflow from his personal library, which I just thought like, this man has I, gotten- I didn't know that. Very interesting. 
Yeah. So it's almost like he started just selling his books. Like it just, <laughs> I think, and I thought that was really amazing. I mean, certainly that was not a moneymaker for him, those bookstores, if you've seen. I'm sure they're not. Yeah. So it was because he cared so much. And I think he mm-hmm. wanted to share the books he read with like everyone else. But I connected him, you know, you would be shocked at how many people, like when you reach out, you just have to reach out to them and ask the question. And so I do blind emails all the time. I figure out their email addresses by typing in 10 different versions of the email address. One of them works, you get 10 bounce backs. And, you know, honestly, we're not writing an expose on their like secret past. Like it's only Mm -hmm. a compliment (laughs) if I'm like, you know, saying, would you like to be in a book about your book collection? I mean, I think people felt after some convincing, of course, most people feel flattered and excited to create kind of a legacy, you know, I think you know what how long a book stays on your bookshelf and the idea that something is in a book permanently mm-hmm. is is like a photograph it's like a photo album for your legacy in a way you know and um mm. people were quite open and now we're going to go to the quick question and answer and I guess the most obvious question here is what's the best book that you've read so far this year I do love like a dystopian like future, something that freaks me out in a way. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. actually, the parable of the sour by Octavia Butler, I actually loved. And I read her her sequel. And I don't know if you've read her books. I've never read Octavia Butler. It's a huge gap in my reading. Tell me about the book. What's it about? What did you like about it? You know, she passed away quite a while ago, but she was active as a writer in the 80s. I think maybe Mm -hmm. early 90s. I have to double check. But she Mm -hmm. is this remarkable black female author, and she wrote about the collapse of the American community in a sense Mm -hmm. that feels so reminiscent of what we've just been through like politically wow. and mm-hmm. all of that. It's it was actually it's almost a prediction. It starts with mm-hmm. an earthquake in LA, but it talks about power grabs, democracy falls apart, you know, the struggle for small communities to survive, the ugliness of human nature. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, in one of her books, she talks about a president that comes whose slogan is make America great again. Come on. Wow. No, I swear. And obviously that's a Ronald Reagan Mm -hmm. thing, but she had literally predicted Donald Trump's slogan. It's crazy. So I think she's like really an interesting woman because it speaks about conflicts with race and the struggle with communities, but it's Mm -hmm. a really beautifully written book that will just give you deep anxiety, which I also love. Oh, you like to have deep anxiety when you read. I do. I love books on actually like the Black Plague and really horrible diseases. I actually, strangely, (laughs) that's maybe why I have a tough time reading at night because I'm like, oh, here we go down the literally the slippery slope of uh, epidemics, but whatever. Next question. Which book was the biggest disappointment of the year for you? Doesn't have to be a book written this year, but what have you read this year that you felt, oh God, that was a bit overhyped or way below expectations? You know, I put a lot of books down and I used mm-hmm. to struggle to finish them because I like wanted to be that person. And then mm-hmm. I just like decided like, you know what, if I don't like it, I'm just going to put it down. Just gonna stop reading. And that's my new vibe. So mm-hmm. I have just just gone through like a lot. And w- which one did you put down thinking, I really didn't expect to put this one down. I thought this was going to be so much better and it, I'm putting it down. I wish I would have taken a picture of my nightstand. Um, <laughs> you know, if even if it's on a list on a, like a New York Times bestseller or something like that, you know, sometimes I just naturally purchase those books because someone's I've hyped them or whatever. They're almost never a success for me. It's almost not the topic I'm interested in. It's not enough Black Plague for you. 
No, I really do like, I guess I have a dark side. I don't know. <laughs> What's your favorite book that I've never heard of? You know, the book that I actually love and I thought was really interesting to read, and even mm. for someone that is not an interior designer or doesn't have that much interest, is Bill Bryson. I know people have some thoughts on Bill mm -hmm. Bryson, but I actually find his very basic explanations to be quite interesting and, mm -hmm. and for people. He wrote a book, I think at home, it's called Bill Bryson mm -hmm. at home. And it's like a really weird book. I didn't even know he wrote that book, but it essentially goes through the concept of home mm -hmm. in a history lesson of everything. So he'll talk about the history of a fireplace. And I know mm -hmm. this literally sounds like the most boring thing you've ever read, mm -hmm. but it is actually so fascinating. He talks about grass roofs. Mm -hmm. forever and the concept of community and towns how they developed and I, i'm telling you i know this sounds like shockingly boring but it the book is so interesting because i think it brings up so many feelings where we don't we pass by elements in a home and we think a home it just is our home but we mm -hmm. don't actually understand like how it's gotten there like why do we like you know toilets make sense but like <laughs> Mm -hmm. Wait till you read the chapter on that. It's like literally <laughs> crazy. So, <laughs> interestingly, it's the second time today that somebody mentions Bill Bryson to me. So, really, what do you think about him? I've never read any of his books. I have to admit, and yet I think I have one on my bookshelf that I haven't read yet. But so I, I should get around to it. A lot of people recommending Bill Bryson to me. Totally. So, next question: You're the dictator of a small country. What book do you make compulsory reading, and why? I mean, mine's a little boring, but I would do like the new book by David Wallace Wells, The Uninhabitable Earth, which I actually Ooh. thought was a great book. It was an expansion of an essay he did for New York Mag on okay. um, just the damage we're doing and the climate threat. Mm -hmm. And on it, I do mm -hmm. honestly think everyone should be aware. It is a very, once again, it's a doomsday book. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I love Ah, that. there so, we go. Back to doomsday. So right up your alley. It's right up my alley. So, And is it a recent book or? Uh, I think it came out two years ago, actually. And it's so it's quite current. And I think the research is really interesting. And it's it's actually not, what I like about it is it's not hopeless. It, it doesn't make you feel like total despair. It's definitely mm -hmm. eye-opening though. It's definitely a caution, like we're like heading into some dangerous territory, but it, mm -hmm. it's not without hope. And so I think that that would be maybe invigorating and energizing for the country if I was um, a dictator of my small country. There you go. And then final question for you today, what would be the title of your autobiography? Um, it would be, I don't know what I'm doing, but I am trying every day, every day. Just, <laughs> 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 I have That's no idea what's one. happening, but yeah, it's true. I mean, I do books I've never... I didn't know how they were made before. I opened mm -hmm. a store. I never had a store before. I just love experimenting, taking risks in life. And so that would be my figuring it out. And the worst that can happen is the Black Plague. So why not try it? That's the worst that if you just like mess up and things don't work out, it's going to be okay. Brilliant. Well, that's uh, all we have time for today. Nina, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed chatting with thank you. Thank you, Charles. One last shout out to your amazing book, uh, Biblio Style absolutely stunning coffee table book featuring some gorgeous home libraries. So I really recommend it. It's a lovely book. And uh, Nina, thank you again. Lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much, Charles. That was so fun. 
And now for a quick recap of the books that Nina recommended during the interview. The first that she mentioned was The Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. She was a pioneering black science fiction writer who wrote some of the most groundbreaking uh, science fiction, including a lot of dystopian science fiction, which was Nina's preference, apparently, <laughs> during her interview. And this one deals with a future America undergoing some uh, political upheavals. The second book that Nina mentioned was At Home by Bill Bryson, uh, which apparently goes through the concept of the home and the history behind a lot of the concepts that make a home. And finally, the last book that she would force the citizens of her dictatorship to read was The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells, which deals with the climate emergency. So hopefully those are some recommendations that you could look into and hopefully find some books that you enjoy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Lit with Charles. If you have any suggestions or comments, you can always DM me on my Instagram account at Lit with Charles. I try to reply to all my DMs. If you enjoyed this episode, you should definitely subscribe or follow me. And more importantly, tell your friends and family.